0: Hello, you're listening to Marissa Des Sports, a podcast brought to you by Radio DePaul Sports and 14 East Magazine. I'm Marissa, and well, I don't really do sports. I mean, I was a cheerleader in high school and I'm a runner now. However, when it comes to trends, controversies, and honestly, sometimes the basic rules and regulations I'm pretty oblivious. However, that's all about to change. Each month I'm working with Radio DePaul Sports to learn something new about the sports genre that everybody seems to be talking about. And then I'll report back to you about what I've learned. This month, in honor of 14 East's 1994 issue, I'm learning about sports-related events in 1994, 25 years ago, because apparently a lot happened that year. To break down that year's events and dive a little deeper into one in particular, I've invited three guests who know a lot more about sports, especially soccer, than I do. On today, I have Ryan Woodtree, the general manager of Radio DePaul Sports, Natalie Wade, the multimedia editor at 14 East and coach of DePaul Women's Club Soccer, and Richie Rakenna, a contributing writer at 14 East and soccer fan. Natalie Ryan Ritchie thanks for coming on today
1: thanks for having us yeah thank you
0: so let's begin in in 1994 the big year for sports apparently what what's the deal what happened
1: well the big thing I would say apart from the 1994 World Cup which was hosted here in America was the baseball strike that happened in August of 1994 Mm -hmm. basically what happened was the players were getting tired of the way things were they walked out in the middle of the season and they had a 232-day strike that canceled the season, postponed the start of the next season, 1995, and it's actually the last labor stoppage baseball has had in the past 25 years, uh, which is actually kind of amazing when you think about it because every other sport, at least major North American sport, the NFL, NBA, and NHL, they've all had strikes in that time. Baseball has had 25 years of relative labor peace, which is kind of unheard of, but even deeper than that, this interrupted a whole lot that was happening in 1994. Tony Gwynn of the San Diego Padres was flirting with a 400 season, which is exceedingly rare. It hasn't happened since 1941 when Ted Williams batted over 400. And then later on that year, the Montreal Expos were the best team in baseball. They had a young team led by Larry Walker, uh, Pedro Martinez, Ken Hill. They had really a really nice squad. Marquise Grissom was also on that team. They were the best team in baseball when the strike happened. And unfortunately for the Montreal Expos, their two best years, 1981, which was a previous strike year, in 1994, they really got interrupted, and unfortunately the Expos were never the same again. They'll leave Montreal at the end of the 2004 season, become the Washington Nationals, and really after that 1994 strike, they really started trading away a lot of their young talent. They let guys like uh, Larry Walker walk in free agency a few years later, they traded Pedro Martinez. Uh, let... A lot of that you know young core go and they were really never the same again unfortunately how did
0: the fans feel about the strike
1: fans were frustrated when especially if you're a Montreal Expos fan you feel a little bit robbed uh, of having this great team Um, maybe not as mad at the players you're mad at the ownership that decided to let everyone go after that season but whenever there's a strike there's a lot of angst among the fan bases because people you know love watching their favorite teams play I think some people empathize with the struggle of a 162 game season um, but at the end of the day, people also want to see their team play. Actually, in Chicago, the White Sox were probably the most affected. Uh, they were in first place narrowly ahead of the Cleveland Indians when the strike happened. Again, and they the
0: had Michael Jordan Well, at the time, right?
1: The Chicago White Sox didn't have Michael Jordan. Then
0: what White Sox had Michael Jordan?
1: Their farm system had Michael Jordan. I think like the Charlotte Black Knights or whatever their uh, minor league team was at the time, they had Michael Jordan. Michael Jordan never played a game for the White Sox.
0: I thought he was on the White Sox team.
1: He was on the minor leagues.
0: Was it still called the White Sox? No. (laughs) Oops. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to the strike.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's also a really interesting story. You know, Michael Jordan (laughs) retiring seemingly at the middle of his prime to go play baseball for a singular season. But yeah, back to the strike. So the White Sox were having a great year that year. And then the strike happens. The next year, they really weren't the same, um, despite having a lot of the same guys on the team. The Cubs... Meanwhile, we're stuck in a dreadful season. Uh, they lost, I think, their first like 12 home games, including opening day when Tuffy Rhodes, all-time great name, by the way, hit three home runs, but the Cubs still lost.
0: In addition to that, I know that in 1994, the World Cup was in the United States, and it the was. opening ceremony was actually Soldier Field, which is not too far from here. Mm-hmm. Um, what was notable about... That opening ceremony. I know Oprah emceed it, right?
1: Yes. Oprah Winfrey, a Chicago celebrity, emceed it. It was, to put it mildly, kind of a disaster. Uh, Oprah falls off stage. Diana Ross, uh, famously, I believe, of the Supremes, uh, was scheduled to kick a penalty. She missed the goal entirely, which, (laughs) let me tell you, folks, is quite surprising to miss a goal at basically point-blank range. But God love her, Diana Ross did it. Nowadays, soccer is still... I wouldn't say necessarily mainstream, but when you compare soccer in America in 1994, when it was in its relative infancy, to nowadays where you have teams like Atlanta United who are actually building like European quality clubs, you know, you really can see that it all started in 1994. Because when the U.S. was awarded the World Cup, they basically had a condition that you had to start a domestic league.
0: That's interesting because that was something I was curious about too. Because soccer still isn't the number one sport in the States, but I know yeah. back then it definitely wasn't. It still had an overall attendance of over 3.5 million people, so it still got the attendance and got a lot of attention in the U.S., even though it wasn't oh, yeah. the biggest sport.
1: Well, part of that, too, is you had a lot of fans from overseas traveling in. True.
0: And so what did it mean, then, for the United States to have the World Cup?
1: Uh, it, was, it was massively significant. Because, uh, again, it showed that there was at least some... Interest in soccer in the United States. There was, you know, some like latent interest in soccer, and the 1994 really brought that to the forefront. It was a huge event. Again, we talk about the MLS. The MLS doesn't exist without uh, the World Cup being here in the United States, rather directly and through a lot of ways. It was a very important event.
0: What else happened during the World Cup? I know there were some surprise wins. And there was also a player that I believe, Richie, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. There was a player who was eventually killed. He scored his own goal.
2: It was a, a game. It was in the group stages. Uh, he was Colombian player. I think he was playing against the U.S. And he accidentally scored on his own team. That goal cost them the game. Ooh. And that, you know, that game cost them elimination. So because of one mistake, everybody's go, got to go back home now, right? So, you know, I can imagine that being, like, a quite plain trip, you know, mm-hmm. going back home. He wasn't well-received. His name, Andres Escobar. And so, you know, he goes back to Medellin, and he, he goes out to a bar. Everybody's like, hey, man, I can't believe you do that to us. <laughs> they felt betrayed. And... Unfortunately for Andres, he, he actually gets killed by a man named Humberto Muñoz Castro. He had connections to the cartel, and he eventually confessed. And he was, he was uh, sentenced to 43 years in jail, but he only served 11.
3: That's already so embarrassing, scoring on your own team. I mean, I've never done it, but I've seen it happen. And every time, if you just look at the person's face when they turn around, like look at their own goal, look at their own goalie, it's just like their heart's broken. Oh. And then, you know, in South America where soccer is like arguably life, the way you're interacting with people after that, it can't be great. Oh, no. <laughs>
2: yeah, it's, it's, it's a definite way of culture in mm-hmm. South America. Yeah. It goes, you know, find a job, find a religion, find a team. <laughs>
0: Oh wow. And so does that happen often in soccer? Scoring the wrong
3: goal? No. I mean <laughs> Well, yeah, it's
2: not supposed to happen. <laughs> well, well, obviously but, not, um, but is
3: that a common mistake? You know, it's often it's usually um a defensive mistake and it'll just like ricochet off a defender oh. into the goal. It's never it's never happening on purpose, but you know what? You really can't always blame the player cuz sometimes it's just like it's poor defense, and that's like a group thing. Was there anything else in 1994 that happened with the World Cup?
1: Um, well, we had a few new entrants at the World Cup. For the first time, Greece, Nigeria, Saudi Arabia made the World Cup. This was also the first World Cup to happen after the Cold War, mm-hmm. um, after the fall of the Soviet Union. So for the first time ever, Russia, not the Soviet Union, had entered the World Cup. Um, and It was first World Cup after uh, Germany had reunified between West Germany and East Germany, <laughs> and... Also, interestingly, at this World Cup, you know, you had two of your traditional soccer powers, both Brazil and Italy. Uh, they met in the final at the Rose Bowl in Pasadena, California. Brazil won in a penalty shootout after Roberto Baggio, like I mentioned earlier, missed a penalty kick. But your third and fourth place teams were not necessarily teams that you really think of when you think of soccer. Sweden was the third place team. Bulgaria finished in fourth place.
0: So there was a lot of that happened at the World Cup, and it seemed like it was... Definitely a time when there were a lot of new teams making it into the World Cup and then also participating. But it's been 25 years since then, and what, what has really happened? I've spoken with some people about the World Cup and about FIFA in particular, and it seems like there are, there are kind of two sides to FIFA. Everyone loves FIFA, loves the World Cup, but there also seems to be a lot of controversy surrounding them where they love the World Cup, but you don't really like FIFA or there's kind of a negative sentiment to them. So why, why is that?
1: In a few words, really, because FIFA is very corrupt. And I think it's one of those things that people always knew, but never really wanted to specifically outline and be like, yeah, they're corrupt. It was kind of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge situation, especially with the bidding process to get a World Cup. There's always rumors that national organizations, um, you know, a lot of countries will have like a governing body of soccer. Uh, England, they call it the Football Association. Over here, it's the United States Soccer Federation, the USSF. Um, there's a lot of rumors that these soccer federations would be paying off. Uh, officials to get the world cup i believe it and that was actually kind of at the center of the indictments for sepp blatter who was the head of fifa he was arrested actually in 2015 basically for corruption and when you look ahead in 2022 the world cups to be in qatar which is a team or a country rather that has never made the world cup so it was was always Um, kind of a uh, um, it was a questionable decision at the time because uh, the weather in Qatar is't necessarily suitable to play an outdoor tournament mm-hmm. in the summer yeah so I heard
0: it can get up to 120 degrees Fahrenheit oh. yep. yeah mm-hmm. 120 degrees. everyone's
1: yeah.
3: gonna be like having heat strokes
1: well to yeah, combat not just that, for the players either yeah', yeah well, to everyone com- involved yeah well to combat that they're playing it in the winter which you might think oh well you know prudent smart decision in Europe their leagues run from August to April or May So it's going to be right in the middle of the club season. And it's just, there's a lot of things going on, even with the construction of the stadiums. Like their final is going to be held at a stadium in a city that has yet been built. Mm -hmm. And I've
0: heard that there's a lot of migrant workers who are building those stadiums. And there's a lot of controversy and and stuff going around there because they're not getting paid or they're getting paid very late. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, almost they're almost not getting paid at all in some cases. Um, they're being worked in very harsh conditions. These are not safe labor practices, because like we said, it gets very hot there and it sounds like they're really proactive in making sure that their workers are well kept.
2: Yeah, ever since uh, the controversy really just started as soon as Sepp Blatter said, hey, 2022, we're gonna have it in Qatar, because for 2022, they had other bidders that were very much better for this. We had the United States who has hosted and has stadiums for this. We have Japan and Korea who had recently in O2 had hosted and Australia, but they chose Qatar. And because of the conditions in the country that doesn't have stadiums, that isn't ready to have an outdoor sport being played for the summer, it was kind of obvious it had to be bribed because it would've just been a horrible, bad decision.
0: Absolutely, and it makes me wonder, what year was the World Cup in Brazil? 2014. 2014, I was watching a video about the World Cup in Brazil and how they built the most expensive stadium in the world, and yeah. now it's a parking lot.
1: Yeah. So how does the World
0: Cup
3: affect communities? Like, build it up from nothing to, like, there was no stadium, and they... Yeah, they built
1: a stadium situation. in the middle of, like, the Amazonian rainforest. Oh, my God. And, again, in Brazil, there there's a lot of income inequality there, uh, a lot of people in poverty, unfortunately, and there's a lot of anger and resentment that they built these giant, massive stadiums and gave these huge breaks to FIFA um, to host the World Cup mm-hmm. but didn't, like, invest in anything else. They mm-hmm. didn't invest in infrastructure. They didn't invest in getting these people out of poverty. So there were massive riots after the World Cup because basically the Brazilian government said they were out of money. Yeah, because the
2: ones who take all the money from the World Cup, it would have been FIFA. Sure, Brazil got a hot summer of tourism, but after that, you know, the millions and billions of dollars that went into this, just bye-bye.
3: Yeah, the cost goes beyond just building the stadium, too. It's like building places for people to stay when they're there for the World Cup, hosting the teams any, like, advertising that's done. It's so expensive. And then it's, what what is the impact then of the World Cup? Mm-hmm. And then the impact
0: once it's over. Yeah, once it's gone, mm-hmm. because the World Cup moves on, picks up, goes somewhere else in four years. Right. So I wonder wh- what impact will there be in Qatar after 2022?
1: Yeah, and if you look at some of the stadium plans that they had, it was almost kind of unrealistic. You know, they had these plans that have basically these giant hovercrafts provide air conditioning.
2: Yeah, they had air conditioning At these arenas and stadiums you know that takes time that takes money that takes workers workers that of course couldn't even get free drinking water
3: the workers couldn't get drinking water yeah for
2: free no it's like okay I got to pay for my check right
0: so what what does this then mean for the culture of soccer
1: it definitely casts a dark shadow on soccer yeah as opposed to the culture I mean people love the World Cup people love the World Cup people people love soccer people hate FIFA and that's the long and short of it that Mm -hmm. you almost kind of hate to watch it because you hate knowing that you're implicitly supporting an organization that is corrupt and is inarguably very bad
3: but we still watch it yeah Yeah. i I know that that, um
2: there have been some movements and especially now with all the reporting that has been being done there's been calls to boycott and have it moved unfortunately that didn't work really well in brazil didn't work really well in russia we're just going to have to wait and see how it works in Qatar.
0: And what do you think that means for when it comes to North America in 2026?
2: I think North America is a little bit more prepared because we do have these constructions, these stadiums, and and it's going to be not just in um, the United States. We're going to have games in uh, Mexico and Canada also. So that will uh, help us a lot.
0: Do you think will the impact then in North America be more positive than, say, in Qatar or Brazil or, or Russia because we have more stadiums already built?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot more infrastructure, I would say, between us, Mexico, and arguably Canada. Canada doesn't have a lot of soccer infrastructure. It's not a Mm -hmm. soccer-playing nation. So they're not going to have quite as many games. They do have stadiums in Montreal, Toronto, and Vancouver uh, from their MLS teams. You know, I think it'll happen 32 years after the United States hosted their first World Cup. So in that regard, you can kind of point and be like, hey, you can track the growth from 1994 to 2032, or 2026, rather
0: will we be in the world cup?
1: We will. As yeah, oh. yeah host
2: nations host nations always make it into. Oh. That's how Russia, that's okay. how they got into this um this last world cup.
1: And another thing about the 2026 world cup is that they're actually dramatically expanding the field. It's going from 32 teams to 48 teams. Yep. Wow. Whoa. Which is going to be a good thing and a bad thing. Going to be a very bloated tournament you could say. 48 teams is dramatically more. It's 50% more than we've had already. So it's going to be an interesting experiment, but we'll just have to wait and see what happens.
0: Absolutely. So it's it's interesting to take a look back 25 years ago and then knowing that that the World Cup is going to be back here and in North America in just a few years. Richie, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on and explaining a little bit of the world of FIFA, soccer, and the World Cup to me. Be sure to tune in next month when we'll be talking about how aldermen affect sports in Chicago for 14 East's alderman issue. Until then, if there's something happening in the sports world that you think I should know about, let me know on Twitter at MarissaNelson24. Thanks for listening!